This week's episode of The Fine Art of Real Estate with Cynthia is brought to you by Raven Rock Reiki Pilates and Art, a place where your energetic mind and body are brought back into balance through Reiki energy healing and Pilates one-on-one training, as well as functional strength and balance mat classes. Located within the Guild of Modern Wellness, Suite 201, New Berlin, Wisconsin. For more information, please check out Raven Rock Reiki Pilates and Arts website, www.ravenrockreiki.com, or contact Lori Christian Post at 817-319-2685, or Lori at ravenrockreiki.com. Welcome to the Fine Art of Real Estate, a weekly podcast hosted by real estate agent Cynthia Wallershine from M3 Realty in Elm Grove, Wisconsin. In each episode, she will feature an expert in real estate, real estate investing, and the fine art of negotiating a real estate transaction, taking a more creative approach within the real estate world for both sellers and buyers. Welcome to the Fine Art of Real Estate. This is your host, Cynthia. Today we have a really exciting young lady. Um, Her name is Ariel Kopak. She has a company called Harness Your Hindrance, and she's going to share with us her business strategies to help businesses grow and develop and um, come up with new ideas and strategies. Welcome, Ariel. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. Ariel, before we get started, we'd like to have our listeners know how they can contact you first. Certainly. Thankfully, my name is unique and not hard to find, so you can literally search my name, Ariel Kopak, K-O-P-A-C, online, and I'll come right up. Thankfully, there's no other Ariel Kopak out there that I've found. You can also search Harness Your Hindrance, harnessyourhindrance.com. And is, first of all, before we get started, you have an interesting name for a company, Harness Your Hindrance. Mm. Can you share the concept and, and why you created that? Absolutely. It was a moment of inspiration. I was listening to the audiobook of Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, who was really the founder of the self-image uh, section of psychology, understanding the power of how you view yourself and the understanding of the brain. And as I was listening to this audiobook, he said something, and it just sparked a moment of inspiration for me. And I went, "Harness your hindrance. That's it. That's my philosophy. That's what I help people to do." And that's my business name. And that was the moment of realizing uh, that that captures the approach and the method and the philosophy all within the name. That's a great name, by the way. Thank you. I was going through your resume, and as I shared with you yesterday on the phone, that you're a young lady, and certainly younger than me, and... Um, I was impressed with your credentials. You have a CLF, MBTI, um, certified practitioner, and then you're also an NLP certified practitioner. Tell me about that. So the CLF stands for Charter Leadership Fellow. It's really about understanding leadership and understanding the distinctions between management and leadership and some of the methods and tactics and such associated. The MBTI is for Myers-Briggs type instrument. So I'm a Myers-Briggs certified practitioner, which I utilize to help people understand the hardwiring of their brain and how that manifests in personality patterns. So you can understand how you, what your preferences are and how you'll best operate in what environments. 
And the NLP stands for Neurolinguistic Programming. And that certification I pursued in Atlanta to better understand the communication between the mind and body and also how those manifest in patterns and how to motivate people to the actions that they want to take. Well, I'm really excited. Um, Ariel has agreed this afternoon, this morning to allow my listeners to go a little more into depth on NLP, and we're going to do that on another podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, we have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to start with a few questions. Um, First of all, one of the one of the things that I was um, interested in is how you got into coaching. So my background was in training and developing financial advisors. I was discovering I was doing project management and also training programs and delivering training and coaching, doing accountability coaching really on the side. I don't know if I'd call it coaching now, now that I understand what coaching really is, but they called it coaching. And through that, I discovered different coaching methodologies, and that's what led to my studying of Myers-Briggs. In fact, uh, it was, I had been studying Myers-Briggs for years before I actually got my certification, and uh, I, I joked with people and was also serious, and I said when I couldn't sleep at 11 p.m. at night, I would pull up my phone and I would read Myers-Briggs articles <laughs> <laughs> to better understand people and their, their personalities and why something worked for one person, not the other. So my training really led to the awareness of how something would work for one person, not another. And then I got into coaching. I was exposed to limiting beliefs coaching and the power of that. I fell in love with it. I became incredibly passionate about it. Couldn't stop talking about it. Um, It was very evident internally that I I had a talent and a passion for it. And I was so passionate about it that I started speaking about it outside of work, brought on external clients, and it grew from there. And I loved it. I really enjoyed what I did. I said I enjoyed training. I enjoyed management. I enjoyed so many aspects of what I did, but I love coaching. And so I knew I wanted to start my own coaching practice and do that full time. That's great. Well, not to insult the um, the accountants and and bean counters out there, but I can see why you went into other coaching besides financial people and in probably businesses. Businesses and entrepreneurs have a different energy. Do you agree? In many ways. There's a lot of personalities that are drawn to certain professions. And, and so I largely do work with financial advisors, real estate, mortgage, accountants, lawyers. They're building similar types of practices and come across different various similar mindset blocks. And what I find and what people I love to work with uh, the most is those who know that they don't have a cap. And the only cap that they have is the one they set for themselves. So I like working with those in an industry where they can build it as large as they want to. And the only thing holding them back is, is themselves in their own mind. The go big or go home kind Mm -hmm. of philosophy. Okay. Mm That's interesting, and I'm going to come back to mindset blocks in a minute. But um, also, too, how did you, do you work with? There's a lot of people. I was an old score mentor from, with SBA, and I did that for a couple of years, and I loved fantastic. it. But a lot of people want to get into entrepreneurship and don't know what to do. And I guess from your resume and background, you do help a lot of startups, correct? I don't focus on startups. Okay. I, there, there is a, a saying that a coach and I once said, and I really 
use as a filter. There's where I work and then there's where I serve or give. And when it comes to those who are in the startup stage, that's where I more frankly give and give advice and and recommend resources. Uh, I specialize more in those who are more established because, say, you first need to know what you need to do. And that's more of the training aspect or the directive type of coaching of this is what you need to do to succeed. Whereas I come in more so once they already know what they need to do and they've either hit a mark that they're stagnant in or they know they want to go to more uh, heights, greater growth, but there's something holding them back. And so I focus more on the mental blocks to the growth. But you first have to know what you need to do and start doing it and learn uh, what works for you to some extent, hit a certain level, and then I help people to continually break through the next level. A uh, phrase I use is new level, new devil. So <laughs> um, we're, we're constantly figuring out, you know, you rise to the next level and now there's a new challenge or a mindset pattern that shows up in a new way. But first someone needs to know what they need to do. And so I usually uh, give advice and resources and recommendations at that stage, sometimes refer out to those who do specialize in working with those at that stage. I like to do more of that directive coaching. I do more of the breakthrough coaching. Very interesting. Well, you know, you're kind of like fine tuning. They're kind of fine tuning them in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> what is the most common um, problem you see in business owners? Lack of identifying how they are viewing something. So we all come into our every day with a lens. We come into every situation with a lens, preconceived notions, beliefs, uh, even our mood can impact how we view something. So the lack of awareness around how you're viewing something, not just what you are viewing, is oftentimes the challenge that I see. And that comes up probably the most with business challenges. So I had a coaching call this week where we talked about how can you see the opportunity from this obstacle? And the client said, I don't know. He was just so caught up in the obstacle. You know, this, is, this is a challenging situation. This is frustrating. I'm irritated by it. It shouldn't be happening. I said, I agree. It's challenging. It's frustrating. It shouldn't be happening. And since it is, what is the opportunity that could be presented from this obstacle? What are the opportunities that you might not have otherwise seen that are showing up because of this obstacle. And once he allowed his mind to think about the opportunities that came about as this obstacle, then his mind started to, we enacted that problem-solving machine in his mind. And he was able to see, oh, I could do this. And I could um, transition this situation to lead to more opportunities. I could utilize this opportunity to get more introductions. And then the growth mindset was able to come forth. So that is a lot of what we do is uh, understanding where your focus is, where your, how your mindset is causing you to view a situation, and then how if we maneuver your mind a bit and view from a different lens what different things you may see and how that can lead to more growth. Well, as I shared with you earlier, I I was an entrepreneur, too, and had um, a company. And one of the things that was always the hardest for me was entrepreneurs are generally very creative people. 
I mean, you have to be able to envision what you want to create. And it was sometimes I probably, and part of it is because I, you know, have more of an art background mm-hmm. and, and, and my business was centered around that. But what I found was really hard sometimes was staying focused because, um, like I, I call it with my buyers, the shiny penny syndrome mm-hmm. that, Oh, look at that. Oh, go over there. Oh, look at that. Go over there. And it's the kind of thing that everyone has to a certain degree, mm-hmm. some more, some less. Yes. And, um, it, you know, as entrepreneurs, we get bored. We sort of like, Oh, we started this. Oh, now we're going to go over here and we're going to start that. And it's sometimes is detrimental because then you're, you're going in five different directions and then coming back and getting focused. I was lucky because I had a good business, um, accountant who would say, Cynthia, get focused, get focused, Mm -hmm. you know, cut your inventory, look at this, look at that. And he, you know, and I, we'd have these long lengthy conversations. I'm assuming that's kind of what you do with your entrepreneurs and business owners. It's adaptable. And I say that because I do work with a variety of personality types. You know, I even have myself documented the different personality types that I have. So I have a wide range of personality type clients. And with the ones that are, everyone's creative, as you said, which I really appreciate because everyone is creative. Some are creative with problem solving in business. Some are creative with art. Some are creative with creating new programs. Everyone is creative, just creative in different ways. That was a limiting belief I had overcome. I always said, I'm not creative. I'm not artistic. And then I realized I am, and but I am in, a pro, in the problem solving way. So everyone is creative just in different ways. And for those who are most tapped into their creativity or that that occurs the most, I take the approach of how can I tap into their creativity? How do I, um, you know, spark that bit of inspiration that leads to great things? And I've had clients who've had amazing success through that. So it's learning their strength and how do we tap into that? And then also somewhat put guardrails around it. And I find that the best way to create boundaries or guardrails around the creativity of entrepreneurs and business owners and visionaries is to make sure that their vision is clear. So that allows the vision becomes the filter for is this idea or this creative aspiration, this enticing um, you know, ideation, is this going to contribute to the vision or distract from the vision? So the vision is clear. That allows for that to be the filter for if this is an idea to pursue or let go. One of the things often with, with vision, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, is that, you know, sometimes, like you said, fine tuning it. Mm -hmm. And often that is like a mission statement. And sometimes it can be a very lengthy mission statement or shorter one. Do you, do you look at people's mission statement or vision when when you first meet with them to, and before you consult, so you kind of know where their goals were? If they have it, part of the process is understanding if they have a vision, how it's worked for them. I have worked with a lot of business owners who've been told to write a vision, and they were told to do so early on. Not all were given great guidelines or even had enough information at that time to truly create a vision that they could be internally bought into. So some of it is actually 
some of the work that I do with clients is having them rewrite or rework a vision that is truly connected and convicting for them versus just doing something, putting in something on paper because they were told to. A lot of people are told to write a vision and they, they may write it on paper, but it may not be what convicts them or connects to them on a deeper level. So we're reworking that is some of the work that I do with clients, actually. You were talking earlier about mental blocks. Give me some examples of mental blocks. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Anything can be a mental block, <laughs> okay. depending upon the situation and how it's uh, affecting you in the moment. Mental blocks can come from limiting beliefs. It can come from uh, an emotion in the moment. Uh, it's really just about the, the placement and the perspective in your mind. A very minimal example that comes to mind immediately is, this is an example of a limiting belief on a minor scale, but a limiting belief. I remember one day I had this realization that I had been telling myself for so long that I would always have a somewhat messy home because my mom had a messy home. And uh, my mom's fantastic. This is not a dig on my mom. She's wonderful. It's just that it was always a little bit messy. And that's okay. It wasn't dirty. It's just messy. And I just believed without realization that I would follow the same pattern. And then one day after having you know, a couple of years of exposure to limiting beliefs and understanding how what we tell ourselves, we make true, I realized I've been telling myself, well, I'll always have a little bit of a messy home. And then one day I realized I don't have to believe that. I don't have to live that out. That's not a pattern I have to repeat. And I thought, do I want that or do I not? I said, I want to allow for that, but I don't actually want it. And so I said, I don't have to have a messy home. And I started creating more organizations in my home and um, kind of more systems for organization. And I thought, you know, I can allow for a messy lived-in home, and that's okay, but I don't have to. And that allowance uh, allowed me to have a more organized home. So that's a small example, personal example, of a mental block of a repeat pattern that I was stuck in, not even realizing, not aware that that was a pattern that was in my mind. And those patterns show up all over the place in our personal lives, in our professional lives, in our business, in our leadership. So the mental blocks are ab abounding uh, and they show up in many ways. They're usually contributed to a mental pattern that we're stuck in. And um, I, I totally agree with you on that because, you know, I, I've talked to quite a few people, you know, in my car when I'm taking buyers and sellers around and we'll get around to what's your aspirations and what, you know, you, do you love your job? Do you, you know, the basic, you know, who, what, where, when, why kind of thing. And often I, I, I hear things that you can just tell their parents told them as children mm -hmm. and they took it on as a belief. Yes. And I know from my personal experience that I went to Catholic schools and I was sharing that with you the other day and um, I had nuns and nuns would say, oh, you know, I was always the art, the student who was always painting the, the murals and the, the banners for all the plays and, you know, the stages. And then they had me do their graphics for their school and all sorts of things. So I was pigeonholed into this category that you're just, you know, art, arty, artsy, fartsy. You're just that <laughs> category. And one day um, 
I was getting evaluated by a nun for some reason. I don't remember what. And she had stated to me that, um, oh, you're just artsy fartsy. You're not good in math and you're not good in this. Mm. And, and, you know, there was something that triggered that day that made me go, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not just that. And I got really angry about it. And so I went to the library and got every kind of book I could find on math. Mm-hmm. And there's another side trip to that one. But we often do carry some of the lessons that our parents, who did the best they could mm-hmm. at that time, shared with us as children um a lot of issues with women and money yes our parents will say you know we're poor you can't spend any money and and then people grow up both male and female um that you know they they have money issues Mm -hmm. do you see that in your practice as well money mindset comes up a lot and realizing that money is a tool and the perception of how you use that tool, how it, uh, the, the value of it, the purpose of it, that comes up a lot. And what I find a lot with my clients is I work with incredible clients who have wonderful values, a desire for generosity. They tend to care more about impact than income. And what they oftentimes struggle with when it comes to money is greed or more so the fear of greed or the fear of being perceived as greedy. And that is a challenge a lot for my clients as they achieve more success and they have this drive, you know, they're achievers, they're, they, they thrive, they succeed. And then they come up with these limiting beliefs of, I don't want to be greedy and, and I'm, I don't want to be driven by the income or I don't want to have all these fancy things. And it's okay realizing that money is a tool and you get to choose how you use it is part of the, uh, you know, realizing because there's so many different perceptions and uh, as you say, beliefs, accurately say, beliefs that we have around money from our upbringing and from our influences. So sifting those apart and realizing that you can choose your belief about money and how you want to use it, the purpose you want it to serve in your life and uh, you know, the the value add that it can allow for as you have more, viewing it as opportunity versus um, a meaning about you. And you can't control other people's perceptions. You have to take control of your own. So sh- money shows up in our mindsets in so many different ways. I find it the most with my clients that are having success. Um, and as they're continuing to ha- find more and more success, the fear of greed comes up. And so we work to pull that apart and realize that you are who you are and your values are going to determine what you do and how you utilize that tool. Um, That is a part of the work that we do. So then it allows for, oh, when I have more money or more resources, because this is a tool, I can have more impact and more flexibility and more opportunity to fulfill the vision that I desire. So really separating those out, those beliefs is an important part of the work. I had a woman years ago, and I totally agree with you on that. And um, she had a, a successful company, and 
she came to me one day and she said, you know, I've been watching you. And she wasn't, she was in an, a conflicting business in mind. And so we didn't view ourselves as, you know, competitors. And so she would often call me up and pick my brain and vice versa. And she was a lovely woman and she, her company was really growing and she found that she couldn't get past a certain income level. And you're nodding your head, so I'm gathering you've heard this before. And she, you know, and I kept saying to her, what's blocking you? And and she's, well, you know, my family's, you know, this is, they were hardworking people. And, you know, they never made money and da, da, da. And I remember when I did the John Lennon exhibit, my my father came to me and said, you have made more money than I have in my entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. And not just me personally, but the company and our projection. And he had a very successful business. And it, it, it kind of caught me off guard. And I was trying to share that with my friend. And she, you know, she couldn't get past that block. And I kept saying, well, you're, look, you're not looking at money the right way. Money, like you said, money is a tool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more money you make, and you can pay your employees more salaries mm-hmm. or more bonuses. You could start a school for people to learn what you do. You could, there's so many, you know, it's like um, side, tr- side jobs almost mm-hmm. that you can create when you're, you're financially growing. And is that a lot of what you do and you help people like refocus that? Um, because I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that's a big block for a lot of people. It is a big block for a lot of people. And a lot of the people that I work with, uh, they, their upbringing was not abundant or, or wealthy. It didn't come from a, a wealthy background. And now they have this, they make more money than they ever thought they would. And so that what it results in is often also a part of this is identity. You know, I, we have a perceived identity and this goes back a little bit to the psycho cybernetics reference about understanding how we view ourselves and that moment of, I never thought I'd make this much. I had this perception, this view of myself, perhaps even my future self, and it wasn't this successful. So what does that mean? And grappling with that and actually identifying, allowing your identity to change and to see yourself as making more money or having this wealth, having this abundance and living out your values of, of generosity or of giving back or of serving and that uh, w- taking control of that identity, that future self, yourself as successful, then that allows for you to pursue it. But until you allow yourself to see yourself that way, there's going to be that continual block because you're going to continue to want to go back to the self-identity that you have. And a lot of the times that's viewing yourself at the income level, perhaps that your parents were, that you thought you would be at. And so when life takes a different path or you, you know, someone is motivated to do more, create more and have abundance, then that results in changing your identity of your future self. Absolutely. And when I was sharing before the the woman, she had a $40,000 mindset Mm -hmm. and she'd work really hard and achieve 40,000. And then once she achieved it for like, maybe it was the first six months of her career. And all of a sudden she, you know, just like either lost interest or just never, never raised her income. And she, once she achieved that 40 and she, that was her block. And I'd say, 
where did you get this from? And, you know, she couldn't answer that. She didn't, she just knew that that's, that was like a decent living. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that would be something that I, she definitely could have used you. So that would have been great. That's Um, a cap that she set for herself. Yeah. It's a, it was an internal cap. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying, well, that's just a dollar amount. Don't, don't, don't concentrate on the dollar amount. Mm -hmm. And, um, we went kind of many, many rounds and rounds of discussions on it. But I'd like to get back a little bit too. Um, you know, how do you help people accomplish your goals? Well, we start with reframing or understanding what goals mean to them. Now, I, I'm not deviating from every question. It really is a personalized approach that I take because for some goals have worked really well for them. They set a goal, they, they create a plan, and they execute. So they love goals. A lot of the people that I work with have had challenges with goals. Uh, and so a lot of it is reframing goals to, again, I say goals are benchmarks to your vision. They're letting you know if you're on track and they give you a destination to work towards. However, when goals become the ultimate, that's that can be problematic. And that results in what you said there as the example of the woman who she said um, in her mind 40,000 and then she hit it. That was her goal. Now what? <laughs> then you stuck, you plateau and you go back down. Or you know, maybe you come back and hit that goal again, but that becomes your cap. So positioning goals so that they're not the ultimate destination to the point where that becomes your cap rather positioning goals as benchmarks to be on track to your vision reframing goals in that way I find to be very important and powerful for my clients oftentimes they have experienced setting a goal hitting a goal and then what they say about the day after your goal is hit is the saddest day that's when a goal is not positioned to, hey, you're on track or you're progressing towards your vision. When the goal be- gets takes the place of the vision, that is problematic and results in a negative association with goals. So we have to sh- shift that so that goals uh, have a positive association again where we it's a time to pause, to celebrate, to acknowledge your progress, and to say, hey, we're progressing towards that vision, that ever-evolving vision, that horizon, and that builds excitement and positive momentum versus I hit my goal, that's all I had in mind, now what? So we want to reframe goals as benchmarks rather than as the place of the vision. Interesting. That's very interesting. How can you, um, you know, when you talk about goals, the... I often find that people that are very athletic, you know, like run marathons and, and, you know, climb Mount Everest and, you know, have those kind of lofty goals. They're also kind of like adrenaline junkies too. They, and, and I have several friends, I was never able to run. I was never a good runner. And I have several friends that just love to run and they love the endorphins that they get from running. And it's almost a high that Mm -hmm. they, they're addicted to, but they're very goal oriented in their sports, but they're not as goal oriented in their business or, or sometimes personal life. Do you see that often? I see it uh, sparingly, frankly. A lot of my clients are, well, they're 
coming to me as a mindset performance coach for their business. So they are dedicated to their business and want to achieve their goals of the, for their business. With that said, you mentioned the endorphins and the high. And I have experienced with some clients where they lost mm-hmm. some of the excitement and the joy and the celebration in their business. Bringing that in is bringing that back in is really important uh, because there is that piece of we are undeniably impacted by our emotions and our emotions drive our actions. So we can't be in denial about the impact of our emotions in our business. We have to bring that joy and that excitement and the wins and the celebrations into the business because if you don't, you're not going to experience that wanting to go back right? That high, that excitement. Uh, one of my clients, for example, um, he, he said, hey, things are going really well in the business. We've made a lot of progress. I feel good there. The only thing that's not going well in my life right now is my golf game. Okay. All right, then let's tra- let's talk about that. Let's talk about your golf game. So <laughs> we talked about his golf game. And what we discovered was uh, he had gotten so focused on trying to perfect his golf game, which there's no perfect in golf, but he got so focused on trying to perfect his golf game that he had lost the joy that he had in golf, the reason he started it in the first place. And you can probably already foresee the metaphor to the business here. He had lost that joy in the journey and in the process of playing golf. And it got him so tight and tense that he had lost some of the fluidity that is required for a great golf game. So he focused on bringing the joy back into his golf game, which allowed for him to have a more fluid swing. His golf game improved. In our next coaching call, I asked, how's your golf game going? After we did that coaching call around the joy in the golf. And he said, my golf game has drastically improved. And I realized that I had also lost some of the joy in my business. And so we brought that back into, and that was then having wins as a result. So what works for you in your personal life, you can apply to your business too. And sometimes there's too big of a, dis- of a separation between your personal life and professional life. I, however, say there's no true separation between personal and professional because you and your mind are in both and your mental patterns are going to play out in both worlds, or perhaps in different ways. Very interesting. Yes. The, well, I, and you're also kind of bringing the word, uh, and I maybe because I'm a creative person, I like it's passion, bringing your mm-hmm. passion in. You know, I I have found people that are very successful in their business. They're not very happy. I mean, they're not extremely happy people. They're, you know, they've achieved a certain amount of met their goals, whatever they may be. And then when I see young entrepreneurs or I look back in my career, it was always it was always my passion. I mm-hmm. mean, pa- mm-hmm. art was my passion. I loved art. I ate it, drank it, slept it, <laughs> and bored everybody with it, probably. And the truth of the matter is, is that that is a driving force for so many businesses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your passion is to help people, um, to bring water to foreign countries, whatever it is. And and now we're having so many companies that um, the shoe company that for every shoe you buy, they mm-hmm. donate one to a different country, um, a variety of countries. I mean, those are different kinds of passions. Do you help um, direct people to start looking at something that is not only a passion, but could also maybe serve, serve the bigger good or the better good of most people. 
a client comes to mind who she reached out to, well, we started working together because of her mm-hmm. desire for mindset coaching in particular. She said, Ariel, I already have hit greater growth in my business than I ever thought I would. I make more money than I ever thought I would as younger, you know, more money than any of my family members do. And I've already achieved the success that I wanted to achieve. The challenge is I'm not happy. So we work together from a, not a business growth standpoint, but a satisfaction and a joy and a mindset perspective of understanding why she had all the success and wasn't happy. As a result, she has now uh, become much happier and joyful and confident and she's doing fantastic. And her business grew 150%. That was not the focus. That was a byproduct of her mindset. And what we, one of the things that we did, multiple, but one of the things that we did was identifying what she really enjoyed, what her strengths are, and what she gets excited about within the business. And that was training. She's a fantastic trainer and teacher. And so then it's working to focus on that, maximize her skill and what she enjoys within the business and let that growth occur and then reduce or cut out the aspects that she doesn't delegate it, cut out the clients you don't enjoy working with, some of that work that distracts from her passion and what she's really great at. So that comes into play in multiple areas of what what are you really great at? What do you love? What gets you excited? Uh, what makes what do you want to do more of within your business so that people can be as others referenced in their zone of genius or um, where they like to play and utilize that for more growth. I have another client where uh, he's super creative, as you referenced creative, incredibly creative. He loves content creation. And so then it's a matter of how do we maximize that, grow that part of your business and um, bring that creativity into the other areas. If there's other areas of your business that you just have to do, then how can we tap into your unique skill and asset of creativity and incorporate that more within your business um, or take that approach to it. So a lot of the work is identifying what is your unique gift skill and what you're passionate about doing. And then how do we make that in a way very much the centerpiece of your business and of your day so that everything else comes from that or is an extension you know, I look back, and as I'm listening to you, I look back at my business, and I love my business. I had um, a lot of employees, and I I love the sales. I love because we were corporate art dealers. We, you know, I love the challenges of that because I, I met a different person every day in a different walk of life. The one thing I absolutely hated about my business was employees. Mm. And, and not that I didn't have good employees, I had very creative people, and they were a lot like me, very creative, not sometimes always 100% focused, mm-hmm. and, um, but task-oriented. You mm-hmm. know, a lot, of, a lot of artists are very task-oriented. And um, it was very difficult for me to, because it's like, okay, what is it you need? Let's go ahead, do it. 
You know, this is what we have to have done, da, 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 da. And I don't like to stand there and tell people how to do everything. I assume they, I hired them because they have a brain and they're willing to work and they're getting paid well. And this is, you know, you figure it out, you do it. And I found that there was a certain percentage of employees that didn't do that, didn't focus like that, and wanted me to handhold them through so many of the things. That was very frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. And... um and often I'm, I I would say definitely if I look back in hindsight, I showed a shortness of patience and, you know, um, uh, basically support because it was frustrating. And I really should have just hired an HR person to deal with these employees. <laughs> and I didn't because our company was somewhat small and we didn't have a separate HR person. Is that something, have you run into that with people that, you know, really like one thing, but really hate the other thing mm-hmm. and you have to like change your focus, change your focus. Uh, your focus is a big piece. And some of it is delegating or bringing in additional resources to reduce that, the amount of time that you're spending in that space. And other times it's reframing how you're viewing it. So, you know, if you focus on the frustration, then that's what's going to build. (laughs) And it did for me. It really did. And I think, I mean, I ended up getting, there were two employees that were just stellar and um out of my group of employees and i ended up giving them the the challenge of working with the other artists Mm -hmm. and a lot of them were young so they didn't have all the skill set that some of the older ones had because they had been painting and doing all sorts of things Mm -hmm. for years so we took sort of a teaching sort of thing but we let them do it absolutely so that's one way you know that's one way to do it one way one of way. Many. <laughs> <laughs> of many, yeah. I think the piece there, though, is the understanding of if you focus on the frustration, that's focusing in a way on the obstacle or the emotion from the obstacle. And so then, again, transitioning to, okay, what's the opportunity that is presented from this obstacle? And then seeing what different methods or approaches present themselves. And how do you get through the tough days of business? How do you get through that with your clients? Mm, I love what I do. So there is a lot of joy in the days that I get to coach my clients. And there is the reality of, of life. You know, I don't necessarily subscribe to the, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I don't fully subscribe to that because there are some days where you're just tired (laughs) or, you know, life, there's stuff going on in your personal life that is draining you and you have to give energy to your clients. And sometimes that it's a lot of work to channel that energy. So it can be work. It's work that I love. So it's uh, not hard to do. However, there are days that it's more challenging than others. And when that's the case, remembering the why, the why behind why I do what I do. And I, everyone, no matter whether they are, um, you know, in a advising role, if they are in um, maintenance and cleanup, if they're in security. I was on a call yesterday with someone from the Verizon store helping me with a situation and they made my day. Just incredibly great customer service and uh, you know great energy and that impacted my day. So focusing on the impact that you can have each and every day, even in moments, that is what will refill your cup uh, on the hard days and on the good days. So 
no matter what situation or, or job someone is in, they have the opportunity to have an impact on the people that they interact with. And that's what really keeps me focused and um, engaged on a daily basis is the impact. I'm grateful to also have reminders of that through emails, letters, and cards from clients uh, just graciously reminding me of the impact that our coaching has had, and that refills my cup immediately. Well, we're getting close to time, but I'm going to ask you one tough question, and Mm -hmm. that is... um, a lot of people, especially, I'll call them my people, my generation, um, the boomers of the world, mm-hmm. we kind of think we've done it and we know it and, you know, we, we're we sort of set in our ways in some ways and, you know, we think we can say do it and we think if we read a book, we'll figure it out and we can do it. <laughs> and I'm a big, I'm a voracious reader Absolutely. and I believe that, that usually I can read a book and start to figure out some things. Why I, I've been really impressed with what you've had to say today. And explain to me, you know, before we sign off, what you think, why your skill set is so strong as compared to just reading a book on how to. Mm. So I was in a coffee meeting yesterday and the person said, how do you, uh, and he was struggling for his words, and I could tell he was hesitant about how to say it. But <laughs> <laughs> he essentially said, how do you justify getting paid for coaching? And I thought, oh, how do I explain the power of coaching and, and what I do and how it helps people? And I said, you know, it really isn't effective to tell you. I think I just have to show you. And so we went through a coaching situation and uh, asked questions, dug deeper, understood what, where his mind was focused and uh, the mental block that he had. We broke through it. And afterwards he goes, so you essentially help people to actually know what they already know. Essentially, yes. Because we, uh, I am not the expert, I'm expert in mindset perhaps, but I'm not the expert in your mind. You are the expert in your mind and you know so much more than you realize. The challenge is it's in your subconscious mind most of the time. So my work is to go in and help draw that out and help the person to see it with their conscious mind so that they then can utilize that information. The challenge is we focus so much, so much on inputting more information and I love to read. I love to learn. So there's this is not a knock on input of information. The challenge is if you're only inputting information and not extracting that information from the power of your mind to utilize it well. That's what I help people to do is to extract the information that's already in their mind and help them to understand how it's placed and how to use it effectively for, to accomplish whatever they want to in their life, business, world. That's actually great, Ariel. You gave me goosebumps. And I think that um, that's, a, that's a tough question. And all the leading coaches, and you know, the Tony Robbins and the, uh, what's his name, Dan Greco or something like that, um, and I'm probably pronouncing his name, but I apologize. Uh, but all of them say that they have coaches. Mm-hmm. And when, whether you're a football star or um, head of your PTA, sometimes it helps just having a coach. Um, like you said, you kind of, you really help people get unstuck. 
and start to, you know, to, to move forward because we really all have to just keep moving forward. Correct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And move forward with direction and intention. Direction and intention. I love that. Well, this has been a fascinating um, time period. I can't believe how fast it went. What I'd like to do, Ariel, is one more time, how, how will my listeners get a hold of you? You can always search the web for Ariel Kopak, K-O-P-A-C, or harnessyourhindrance.com, hindrance spelled H-I-N-D-R-A-N-C-E. Well, thank you so much, Ariel. It was very informative. Thank you, Cynthia. This is wonderful. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fine Art of Real Estate. To learn more about our guests, see the show notes. And to learn more about Cynthia, visit her website, soldbywallersheim.com, or visit her profile on LinkedIn. You can also follow her on Instagram, at Cynthia Wallersheim, on Facebook, at Cynthia Wallersheim Realtor, and on Twitter, at Cynthia Wallers 2